Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. LMFM Sunday Sport. With thanks to the LMFM app. Download for free now and take us with you everywhere you go. You're very welcome back to LMFM Sunday Sport. David Sheehan with you until half past five. Now, if you're looking to pick up a book for the rugby lover in your life, particularly if they are a Leinster fan, then our next piece could be for you. A History of Rugby in Leinster is a new book which charts the origins of the sport in the province dating back to the late 1800s. The author is Dr. David Doolan. David is currently a lecturer in the University of Galway and I caught up with him yesterday to talk about his new tome. So, David, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. I, I have to say it's a hugely comprehensive history of, of Leinster rugby, and uh, I can only imagine how much time and effort it took to, to do it. How long did it take as a matter of interest? Because it's it's not something that's easily done. A huge amount of research, I would imagine, and delving back through old archives and everything else. It must have taken quite a bit of time. Yeah, no, thanks a million for having me, David. Um, yeah, I, I'll explain very briefly. Uh, it's it's actually, I mentioned it at the book launch itself. Um, I suppose it took the guts of, of two and a half years altogether. Um, but I, I the project was part of um, a Newman Fellowship at UCD, a postdoctoral Newman Fellowship at, at UCD. Um, and I, I, as I point out, uh, it, it, it was a little bit more difficult, perhaps, uh, than, it, than it could have been because the official start date of my postdoctoral fellowship was the 2nd of March uh, 2020 and exactly 10 days later on the 12th of March we effectively went into lockdown and okay. um, so not to bring up those bad memories uh, or anything like that but but just very briefly um, you know all, all the archives were shut down all, all my best laid plans I, I wanted to go and, and meet as many people in the clubs around Leinster uh, it was all out the window basically and I had to uh, pivot as they say and and come up with um, a new strategy so uh, I was lucky though uh, because of some contacts that I had um, I'll give a a particular shout out to Professor Paul Rouse who's a preeminent sports historian in Ireland uh, who was my mentor uh, as well for for this project Um, but he managed to well initially he secured uh, the Leinster branch archive itself so Leinster were very very generous uh, throughout the project they allowed me access to all of their material um, going back as far as they had it, meeting minutes and so on and so forth from the branch. That's all now digitised by UCD, uh, so it's available to anybody who's interested in in a history of Leinster rugby at the UCD archive. It's all digitised, um, as well as having the hard copies stored there. Um, so, uh, but I also managed to uh, secure a few um private collections, basically, which which kept the project going because because as I said, I couldn't get to to our, the National Archive or the National Library or other places, but um. Uh, Des Daly, uh, who's uh, since passed away or passed away a number of years ago, um, was the uh, honorary statistician for Leinster Rugby uh, and his wife had kept all his archive, which were, were literally boxes and boxes and boxes of, of material. And she was very, very generous, uh, um, Mrs. Helen Daly, to allow me to take all his boxes and bring them to my home and go through them 
which was no easy task. Um, nothing was was catalogued. Uh, and Des was a huge rugby, uh, lived for rugby. Uh, so he had records, not just on Leinster rugby, um, but on Ulster, Munster, Connacht, on international team. Um, and it was, yeah, it was it was quite a project uh, to go through all of that. So the, 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 that's the long answer. The short answer was, yeah, it took a while, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to, to uh, have, have gotten there, gotten it over the line, basically, in, in the last few months. It was certainly a test of your commitment and resolve to the project anyway. Did that, at any stage, did you think to yourself, oh, bitten off more than I can chew here? Well, you, you know what? It's it's like any history project. You know, you you're you can't cover everything. Um, so the the initial panic was lockdown. Um, but but as I said, we were lucky with with the access to archives that we got. And um, there's probably other histories that can be done. Uh, you know, when I started to kind of dig into clubs and and so on and so forth, you realize, oh my God, there's you know there's over seventy clubs in Leinster. Um, so you can't basically you can't go into de- into any great depth on any of those sure. clubs because it'll be an encyclopedia mm-hmm. um, so you, I, I just had to try and think about the, the history of the game of rugby and the, the book really traces um, I think it's like a history of Ireland through the lens of rugby in, in some ways so the ways that, that the important events, the big events in Irish history kind of buffeted it up against uh, sports in general, but obviously specifically Leinster rugby and how Leinster rugby developed and evolved with the you know what's going on in in wider societies. So that's what it, it kind of turned into. Um. So yeah, initially there there was you know somebody had asked me before um how many players did you interview and I'm like well, Ollie Campbell I had I had a great chat with Ollie Campbell talking about schools rugby. Um. I had a couple of chats with administrators in Leinster branch. But if I had gone down that route, that's a completely different history yeah. again. Different be like project. A, yeah, be an oral history, I suppose, would be a history of players. So, um, but but I'm happy with 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 the kind of direction the book took uh, as a historian. Um, uh, I, like I was really interested in in uh, the wider history, if you like, and how that infiltrated or or, or buffered it up against, as I said, um, uh, sports history. Yeah, because there was obviously, I mean, there's so many, so many historical events coincided with, you know, the the span of the the era you're talking about here, which is a long, it's a long time. You're going back a long way. But was there anything uh, on that historical side that you talked about buffeting up against the, the progress of Leinster Rugby? Was there any one one particular incident or, or moment that piqued your interest when you were doing your research? Yeah, you know, lots, lots of different little moments of interest for sure. Um uh, I, I suppose one of the, the the big ones is is World War One, um, which has a, an impact on on rugby. Uh, officially, uh, Irish rugby stopped. They they uh, um, and the any rugby player in in Britain writ large at the time, of course, were were still part of the UK, if you like it. But uh, but anybody who played rugby were basically encouraged or told that they, they need to sign up. They they should sign up and fight in the war and Ireland, including rugby in Ireland. So the, the IRFU and, and the Leinster branch were uh, kind of leading the way uh, for the call um, with any Leinster branch, uh, any any rugby players in Leinster should go and, and, and sign up. And they, they call them PALS units. Uh, and they, they envisioned specific units in the army in the british army of only rugby players uh, because the, the the image of rugby or the the idea of, of rugby uh and we're talking the late 
um, 1800s into the early 1900s, it was very much tied to the ideas of empire, to be honest, you know, mm. it's that, that, it, that that sense of identity between rugby and, and, and Britishness was, was quite palpable uh, from, from its foundations. And um, so, you know, a lot of people who did play rugby in Ireland would have uh, nailed their, ma- their colours to the to the 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 mast of of unionism, for example, mm. um, so you get you get that, but it 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 um, becomes uh, manifest in the fact that so many players sign up for for uh, World War One, and there's one um, anecdote in particular, or story in particular about a young player called Jasper Brett, um, who won a cup in the rugby records. Um, he's uh, one of the best players on the scene. He he's got a great talent. He's got a great future in rugby and so on. In 1914, he wins his first cap for Ireland, and of course, uh, um, that that autumn the war starts, and he is one of the first um, uh, first Irish rugby players or, or first uh, first of the soldiers to be sent uh, to Gallipoli. Um, and uh, if people uh, at least. Have a vague idea of Gallipoli. It was a slaughter for the the troops who landed on the beaches of Gallipoli, uh, and Jasper Brett um, suffered from what what was called shell shock at the time, what we know as PTSD today, um, and uh, was sent home um, to Ireland to try and recuperate uh, from from a, a shell shock, uh, and then the day before the week, it was the day or the, maybe the week before he was due to be sent back to the front, he took his own life because he. Oh. Uh, he was suffering from PTSD or, or, or shell shock. So, so you know, th- there's those kind of stories that that just as a human story uh, jump out. Um, there's other examples um, that are really interesting in terms of Irish history. Uh, the uh, Frank Browning, who was the president of the IR- IRFU in 1916, um, uh, signed up for the what was the Home Guard, basically. Um, Frank Browning, by the way, was 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 the, the voice who was calling for Irish rugby players to go and and, and fight in World War One. Uh, he was too old himself to go, but he signed up for a home guard um, uh, in in Dublin and used to drill up in the the foothills of the Dublin Mountains. And in 1916, they his unit, the the home guard, happened to be out drilling, um, and they were called back in because the Easter Rising had kicked off. So as they marched back into Dublin, um, the uh, Browning was shot and killed uh, by by the revolutionaries in in, in nineteen sixteen, and just uh, so that's interesting as well. And, and mm. another bit to that, that that kind of complicates or makes it really interesting, was that it was Eamon de Valera's unit um, that ended up uh, being the ones who somebody in his unit, not de Valera himself, but that had shot and killed Frank Browning, the uh, IRFU president. And Eamon de Valera happens to be happened to be a huge rugby fan. Um, uh, he played it in Black Rock and uh, talked about uh, later in his life said that it was his, his favorite game uh, was was rugby. So so there's lots of little interesting things. There's stuff around the Civil War as well. But I could go on and on. Yeah. And David, um, a lot of people of a certain generation, myself included, would be very familiar with uh, with going on holidays to, to Mosny or taking a little trip over there. And, and Mosny features in the book as well. Yeah, no, I, I think again, it's another really interesting local story, I suppose, uh, about rugby and the role that uh, Butlins and at Mosny uh, played in the history of rugby uh, in in the nineteen sixties. Um, you know, Balbriggan had a rugby club back in the nineteen thirties, uh, but it, it folded. Um, 
and uh, you there was a well draw there was a rugby club in Drogheda, of course, but then um you have uh the uh, Delvin Rugby Club um is established then, and and it takes from North County Dublin as well as 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 Loud and and, and South Loud and Mead um uh, players there. Uh, and they used the uh, facilities at, at Mosney and they were more than welcome because um the the uh, owners of of Butlins were were huge uh, rugby supporters um so throughout the 1960s then not o- not only do you have uh, the Delvin rugby club there um but uh, it's hard to imagine sometimes but there was no coaching uh, in, in rugby it, it was kind of frowned upon to to have any kind of coaching um because of, of amateurism right one of the um, one of the unwritten rules. Well, actually, it was written. No, there wasn't an unwritten. It was a written rule that you you had to be an amateur to play rugby. There was no professionals allowed, uh, and it, it, they were quite strict about that. Um, so that led to uh, a suspicion around around um coaching, right? So you know that sounds a bit like professionalism there. But very very briefly, as as rugby again expanded and um more and more players um wanted to play rugby. Uh, the Lancer branch realised, oh, well, we we need to have some sort of coaching here in order to show these young kids how to play rugby uh, if they've never played it before. Um, but that evolves into uh, a coaching course uh, that develops, and it was at Butlins, it was in Mosney uh, in the 1960s, and it was the first time ever that you had coaching courses in, in Leinster mm-hmm. context, and they were hugely popular, hugely successful. Uh, th- there's great records there that show they divided up all the fields and pitches around around Butlins, around Mosney, uh, the, the Butlins facility in Mosney, um, into various fields for uh, for the different skill sets that you need for for rugby. And um, it was so uh, it was such a big deal for Leinster to to organise that they had uh, they brought in French coaches, they they brought in um, uh, different Irish internationals to to talk to uh, future coaches. Uh, you had the, the school PE uh, PE teachers uh, would would come to it as well as players and, and coaches, uh, and and it was really really successful. But but that 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 um, there's a strong connection there basically to, to Mosley and to Butlins, yeah. uh, and the other connection just briefly as well was. Um, the the uh, provincial town shield that was established uh, for kind of like a second team uh, competition, if you like, for uh, for the provincial town cup, the teams that were knocked out of the provincial towns cup um, that could compete for the uh, uh, the shield, um, that was uh, donated uh, by by Butlin uh, himself uh, as well um, in order to encourage rugby. So players who uh, teams who who had been knocked out of the town's cup uh, oftentimes would have no more games to play after that. But the the uh, the shield was was a way of, of allowing them to keep going and 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 compete for for another competition in rugby. But that's uh, directly uh, as a result of of the generosity of of uh, uh, the the Butlin uh, family, if you like. Um, so there's a close connection between rugby and and, and Mosney in 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 several different several different ways. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's so much to cover, as you said there, and you're covering uh, such a long period of time as well. There's bound to be a massive amount of crossover between what was going on in, in day-to-day life and in, in, in the world at the time versus the, the sporting side of it. One of the other things that, that stuck out when I was just looking through the, the brief on it there was the, and this is something that still holds true today, is that the clubs were started, it says, by men who had attended private school. This is something that probably still uh, gets leveled at Leinster Rugby as a bit of a criticism that so many of their, their players come from that private school uh, kind of background is there any was there any kind of reason that you found going back through the records why why that was the case and why it I guess is still predominantly the case now because it's it's a it's an interesting quirk I always think yeah I, I it is I suppose of, of the the evolution or development of, of of rugby in Leinster has been really interesting um you know I, I in this I suppose post-world war ii like from the 50s and 60s onwards uh, and especially in the professional era, um, you know the the voices at the at the head of of the branch, the the administrators are all all advocating for widening uh, the pool. That it's really really important that we get more and more players involved, um, you know, for the health of rugby and so on and so forth. Um, and and you know they they talk about youth development officers, um, uh, coming on board. Uh, which happens in the, around the 1990s is a pre pre professional era actually. Um, you know, talking about it in the 80s and kind of getting it up and running in the 90s. You know, targeting what they call the non traditional rugby schools, uh, and and it works. It gets lots and lots of more players interested, right? So that's that is really interesting. The pool is is expanded. The the clubs are healthier. There's more second and third teams at club level around the province uh, outside of the senior clubs outside of Dublin. Um, uh, but we still seem to have this uh, uh, preponderance of, um, you know, of of, of um, Leinster players, and, and of course that that translates to our Irish players as well, who all have a similar background in terms of of private school. Yeah, I come, I I did come across records early on where um, the when talent is spotted, if you like. Um, uh, whether it's in Dundalk or Drogheda, uh, uh, those clubs um, um, and Navin and so on, mm. the there was an encouragement to say that oh you, you know you're a really good rugby player, but if you want to progress, you should you should try and get into a private school. Some of it I think it has to do with the practicalities that the resources are there, so the rugby programs are so strong uh, in those private schools, and um, it's hard for the for the, the non-traditional rugby schools and non-private schools to compete sometimes in terms of just the, the training that that uh, and the focus on rugby um, uh, that they they produce 
better players and, and over the decades into the professional era, they're producing bigger players and fitter players sometimes. Um, now, I, I, I do think it is changing, but it is something that I perhaps is, is still a question mark or maybe a criticism um, that Leinster Rugby are dealing with, at least a perception that uh, we still have too many um uh, and maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but so many uh, professional rugby players that are coming from rugby schools. And is that uh, to the kind of detriment of, of Leinster rugby and, and, and the players that are not in private schools? Are they getting overlooked, I suppose, is the question. Um, so, yeah, no, they're, they're, it's, a, it's an interesting... Uh, and Jerry Thorny, writing in the Irish Times as early as, as 1999, pointed this out, that that he called it, the, um, you know, a closed shop. There seems to be uh, this uh, persistent focus on the private school system to produce the best players. Um, and I'm, I suppose I, it's not for me to say, but I'm not too sure what what the uh, the, the way to deal with that is. Uh, and the question is, is it just a perception thing today? Yeah, uh, and, and, and I mean, it's 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 successful. I mean, it where it's working. So I mean. That criticism is there, but I, I, you know, if you were to, if you were to think about what what Leinster could achieve if they had, like a lot of a lot of kind of players from non-private school backgrounds, you'd imagine they'd be unstoppable altogether. Because that's just it is it is the way things are. And again, and as we said earlier, they sometimes do get a bit of criticism for that. But that's just the, the way the way the system is working, and it's working very well for them. So. Um, it's probably something that's not going to change anytime soon. But again, it's it's just the way the way things are, and it's it's working well for Leinster. It's working well for Ireland. So it's it's hard to be too critical, really, about that. Yeah. Well, I, in fairness, as well, I I do think it, it it has changed in in the context of the professional era that the because we have the academies, and hmm. uh, so it's less. You know, I, 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 as I said, I think there there is a preponderance from private school system and that just has to do with resources and and, and the training that the the, the kids are getting mm. at uh, the time that they get to put in uh i, I suppose so just maybe gives them that 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 one step ahead or that edge yeah. um perhaps but but the but the academy system is there as well and and talent is being spotted uh and it's getting better um so you know and there's a lot of kids who um of course uh are, are going to to the um universities and colleges now where they're where they're playing, like the Shane Burns of the world of the world back in uh, uh, back in the nineties, right? Uh, playing mm. for um, uh, playing for the Irish colleges. So when when he, he when the Irish colleges yeah, uh, rugby uh, um, uh, selection is is created, which is different from the, the the traditional universities, if you like, the old RTCs uh, came to, came together and, and and started playing rugby, and uh, the talent is 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 spotted there. So. Um, so yeah, it, it 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 is changing, and perhaps the criticism is it could change quicker. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just have to wait and see if uh, if that does change significantly in the years to come. But as we said, it's it's certainly working out for them as things stand. Just one other little um, historical note I wanted to touch on: Rule Twenty Seven, the ban, and there was a an incident of a Mead GA player Peter Moore who had to take um, let's say an unusual route to to play his rugby and not be not be found out by the um, by the powers that be in the GA world. Yeah, no. Look, I, I um, 
It's a it's a fascinating story, right? So the the idea that um, if you played a foreign sport, if you were a member of the GAA and you were seen or caught or, or so on of playing a, a foreign sport, uh, and a foreign sport in in the in the in the context of the GAA was an English sport, right? It wasn't. It, it was specifically yeah. uh, rugby, soccer, cricket, and, and the and the likes. Um, that you would you you'd lose your membership. You'd get kicked out of the GAA. Um, and I I I would honestly uh, um point people in the direction of, of the work of Paul Rouse uh, there because um, he has done so much work uh, on the history of the GAA and has great stories about about, about the ban himself. But in, in the rugby context, there, that example, uh, it just shows that, you know, once people started to play uh, rugby, there they there was a grow for it right it was it was a game that people enjoyed and they weren't on on a kind of a club level or an individual level and um, they weren't worried about the, the, that kind of politics it wasn't you know it's like how how do you let a a, a sport define uh, define um, your view on life or your yeah. politics and so on and so forth and they found ways around it and i think that's just a great example of like okay well i i'm, I'm playing gaa in mead uh, if somebody sees me, I'm, you know, I, I could, I could uh, lose my membership. I won't be allowed to play anymore. So I, I literally get in the car, go across the border, border, um, and and play rugby um, uh, over in Offaly, and and you know, it, it's fine. It's it, yeah. it's not a problem. So there's lots of little stories like that. You find people, um, getting out, getting out, or getting around the rule, and and they wanted to play all sports, and 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 it's interesting again. One one thing, real quick, when I was looking through the the records, um, of different rugby players for for uh, Leinster uh, specifically, that the uh, the vast majority majority of them uh, played another sport, right? So obviously they played r- rugby, became their the uh, the one that they focused on and excelled at but you know whether they came from a GAA background or or some other sport whether it was athletics swimming um of course it means the stereotype is there's a lot of cricketers and that rugby was a winter game for cricketers as yeah. Brennan Behan put it but um but but there's there was other sports right there's all all the other sports so you, you it wasn't like people picked one sport and and played that one sport only, and uh, mm. no different than today, I suppose. We, we, if you if you enjoy going around kicking the ball around or hit, hitting the ball, hitting the hurl or, or the, ten, the the tennis ball around, um, you're probably going to like other sports as well. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to give a, a quick mention as well. There was a, there was a little piece about the show band era and the um, I guess that the the way that that helped to boost the coffers of, of clothes because there was a demand for, for halls and pavilions and everything all over the country for, for show bands to be playing. And that was something that in and around the 60s, I guess, would have would have boosted the, the coffers of those clubs as well. It was another interesting cultural crossover. Yeah, I, and I, I, I loved, loved that that um, example myself when I, when I came across it. it was, it's just, just fascinating. Uh, to, again, as I said, going back to the beginning, as we said, the way... Uh, the kind of wider history, uh, social history and cultural history uh, intertwines with with sports history in that way. And uh, as clubs begin to grow and rugby does become more and more popular. And so as you get, you know, uh, not just the first team at a rugby club, the second, third team, uh, youth teams start uh, start to come on board as well in the 60s and 70s. You get so you get the underage 
teams uh, coming through and and by necessity right we need more we need more space so the 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 call for for more, uh, more pitches and then of course the the dressing rooms and so on the clubhouses uh, and all that requires money so um it's all about fundraising like no different than any other club any any other uh, amateur club or voluntary club uh rally around and try and and create some um innovative ideas or uh, to 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 fundraise um, and in the 60s, we, the connections, I suppose, the networks um, uh, come to fruition for for in a rugby context with the show band era. Um, and you have and the example I think I have in, in the book, uh, the standard example was County Carlo, um, where somebody at the club has a connection to a, a kind of a show band manager or producer uh, and manages to secure all of these top show bands to come and play in the club. Um, and and we have that uh, every weekend, whether it was a dinner dance or or or, or a, a disco or or the show band would come in, and people would pay obviously their 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 few pennies at the door to to get in, and it was a great fundraiser, kept the clubs going. But there's a reciprocal thing there, right? So the, obviously the the bands, the the young men who and women who who were singing and and playing instruments, um. You know, it's their bread and butter too. So it's a kind of nice synergy, I suppose, between sports and 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 music in this case. Uh, and it's a yeah, it's a really interesting insight. Uh, the the show band era helped keep uh, uh, rugby alive in certain towns. I would say at least expanded, if not keep it alive, but it, but expanded and and push it forward as well. I'm going to have to check in with my father now, Eddie Sheehan, and ask him if uh, the Donny Collins show band ever played in any of the rugby clubs around the country. I'm, I'm fairly sure they would have at some point. But that's just one little snapshot. There's been so many of them you mentioned there, David. So the book charts the, the very beginning and the or- very origins of Leinster rugby right up to the current day. It's called A History of Rugby in Leinster. It's out on Merry and Press, and you can get it in all good bookshops and, of course, online as well if you wanted to get that Christmas present for the rugby lover in your life. David Doolan, thanks so much for taking the time and thanks so much for bringing such a fascinating book into the world as well. No, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Thanks a million. LMFM Sunday Sport. With thanks to the LMFM app. Download for free now and take us with you everywhere you go. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 